Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Safekeeping, a podcast about family relationships, safety, and well-being brought to you by the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Foundation. I have with me a colleague, Rachel. Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, thanks so much, Gabby. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening. My name is Rachel. I'm a board-certified licensed mental health clinician and one of the clinical supervisors for Safe at Home's Margaret's Place programs in New York City. And Gabby, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am a Safe at Home's Family Outreach and Program Operations Coordinator. My role is to educate individuals about the impacts of DV on communities, as well as aid in program evaluation. Thank you, Gabby. So for those of you who are first-time listeners, Gabby and I, again, are from the Safe at Home Foundation, which was founded by Joe and Allie Torrey in 2002 with the mission to educate to end the cycle of violence. Through our Margaret's Place programs, we provide healing, hope, and empowerment to youth who have experienced trauma related to violence, which includes domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Today, we are going to be giving a little bit of a deeper dive of an introduction to understanding domestic violence and intimate partner violence, and we're going to be discussing the different types of abuse. So for those of you who listened into our very first podcast, which was titled Domestic Violence 101, this will be a little bit of a refresher and then again, a deeper dive. And for those of you who maybe are listening for the first time, I am going to go ahead and turn it over to Gabby, who's going to give us the definition of domestic violence and a little bit of a baseline understanding. Thanks so much, Rachel. So when we think about domestic violence or domestic abuse, we're really thinking about a pattern of behaviors of one partner to gain or maintain power and control over another partner. We're really specifically talking about relationships between intimate partners. So we use domestic abuse, domestic violence, and intimate partner violence interchangeably. And also when we're speaking about domestic abuse, we're not necessarily just speaking about abuse that occurs within the house. As I mentioned, again, we're talking about abuse that occurs within an intimate relationship. So we will be using those terms interchangeably. And so really thinking about the widespread impact of domestic violence, of domestic abuse, intimate partner violence, one in four women and one in seven men will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime, the CDC reports. And I think that's really impactful to think about essentially 25% of women will have experienced some type of abuse, unfortunately. And then initially, when we think about the different types of abuse, victims or survivors of digital abuse and harassment are twice as likely to be physically abused, twice as likely to be psychologically abused, and five times as likely to be sexually coerced, which the Urban Institute So really, we see that oftentimes the abuse that seems to be of a more casual nature can often lead to abuse that is ultimately more detrimental. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that, Gabby. And I think it really speaks to just how widespread domestic violence is and how common it might be in comparison to what many may think. And that being said, I think there's this large misconception that domestic violence and intimate partner violence is really just about physical abuse, right? Hitting, pushing, kicking, even throwing things, which falls under the purview of physical abuse is considered physical abuse. And many people may not make that correlation or connection. But that being said, there are many forms of abuse, including emotional, psychological, financial, sexual, verbal, digital. And I know that really the goal for today is to talk a little bit about each of those types of abuse in more detail. So Gabby, can you start us off by talking a little bit about emotional or psychological abuse? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Rachel. So I think that the term that we most often kind of use, or maybe you might hear the most often that actually comprises a lot of emotional and psychological abuse is gaslighting. And gaslighting is really a pattern in which one partner manipulates the psychological state of another partner to gain control of their reality. Sounds pretty technical. What are we really talking about here? We're thinking about a partner who may repeatedly say things like, you're crazy, it's all in your head, that didn't happen, what are you talking about? They might do something and then deny that they did it purposely to make the partner feel as though they don't know what they're talking about. And ultimately, all of these different actions are done with the goal, whether consciously or subconsciously, to lead their partner to question their own perception of reality or sanity. And if I can add to that, Gabby, I just want to add that this form of abuse, gaslighting, can really not only impact the survivor in those moments, but it carries on longer term to the point where the survivor may have an eroded sense of reality and what they know to be true, which can then impact their decision-making and just their general experience in day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great addition. So thinking about other forms of emotional and psychological abuse, we may see it manifest in the form of isolation. Maybe an abusive partner wants to keep their partner or the survivor in this dynamic away from their friends and family because they're worried about what they may tell them. There are power numbers. There's power and support. They might feel that they don't have the best intentions for you is what people might say. They just kind of want to get these other perceptions or these other opinions out of their way so that they can really just have sole control over their partner, unfortunately. In addition, things like cheating is is very much an emotional or a psychological form of abuse. Maybe somebody is cheating and says, well, you didn't act this way. I wouldn't have cheated or cheats to show, you know, see, I can go get somebody else if I want to. And just the act of cheating in itself, even without those other quote unquote justifications, is still a form of abuse because it really devalues a partner's sense of worth and ultimately leads them to feel that they are less than in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, 
making a partner feel inferior, telling them that they are worth less, saying that they need them in the relationship, that they need them. Without them, they are nothing. Um, Rachel, I know when we think about, you know, there's a little bit of a different dynamic when children are involved. Do you want to talk a little bit about how children may play in to the way in which a partner might abuse? Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to emotional and psychological abuse, for sure, partners may use children in multiple ways, right? So if we're talking about a relationship where the survivor has been able to physically separate from their abusive partner, maybe they're no longer living together, maybe they're not even in a relationship anymore, the partner may use custody as a means of controlling the partner, right? So I'm not going to give the children back to you. I'm not going to let you see the children. And conversely, when we're in a relationship, maybe where a partner has not been able to physically separate from their abuser, they may hear things like, well, where are you going to go? Who's going to want a single mom with two kids? Or if you leave me, I'm not going to support you. I won't give you any money. And then you'll have to give the children back to me because you won't be able to afford to take care of them. Mm -hmm. So things like that, really using children as pawns as a means of manipulating. I think in addition to using children, just a couple of other points when it comes to emotional and psychological abuse, things like embarrassing or humiliating a partner in front of others, telling them you're embarrassing me in front of other people and making them feel like it's their fault, or Mm -hmm. just generally ridiculing them in front of others, saying any of those really derogatory and devaluing things that you talked about earlier. And I think just doing that in front of other people kind of ups the ante of this emotional or psychological abuse. Definitely, definitely. Great. Yeah. So thank you so much, Rachel, for that. I think when we move on to um, this next form of abuse, which is financial abuse or financial violence, this is unfortunately one of the abuses that is in the way of the practicality, one of the, the the abuses that most limits the partner from separating themselves from an abusive partner. We often hear people say, why didn't you just leave the relationship or why are you still with them? And oftentimes, particularly if there are children involved, this can be an even more influencing factor to keep somebody with a partner because quite literally, unfortunately, the way the world works, we need money to survive. So there can be things such as maybe one partner is controlling all of the finances in the relationship. Maybe they are not giving them access to their bank accounts. Perhaps they're not allowing a partner to get a job. They're prohibiting them from working. And let's say first off, that's financially absolutely not making money, but as well, somebody's perception of of what they're contributing to the world, what they're doing in life, it also really limits them. Also, taking a partner's paycheck, giving a partner an allowance as though essentially they're a child, only allocating them to a certain amount of money. Maybe they make large financial decisions without the partner. They buy this very expensive TV or some type of entertainment equipment or even can be something practical, but they make this decision without the partner dip into their finances without their consent. Maybe things in addition like using income 
to coerce their partner into doing certain things so that ultimately, as we said, the world requires uh, income to be able to survive. And without that, they may do certain things that they don't necessarily want to do just to be able to get that financial support. And then again, back to this concept of children and the role, unfortunately, that financial abuse plays when there's children. Maybe a child is always aware that one partner doesn't have money and they're always confused about that, but they always know that one, there's one partner who's the partner of the parent who has the money and the other partner is always without money and can't necessarily buy them things if they want to or can't go out to the store and get things. So these factors all really create a limiting and also very reliant situation for the survivor as far as the dynamic in the relationship. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out too, that it shifts even the children's understanding of the dynamic of the relationship, right? Like it becomes that there is a very clear power imbalance in the home which uh, we can speak to in a later episode about how that may influence children aligning with the survivor or with the abuser, depending on the situation. Thank you so much for going into all of that, Gabby. I know we wanted to talk about another form of abuse, which may not always be seen often in relationships, especially in marital relationships, which is sexual abuse. And when we talk about sexual abuse, a lot of times we think of, you know, like sexual harassment or someone might think of sexual assault, right? Which are sexual crimes that are perpetrated not in an intimate partner violence situation. But here we're really talking about the use of sexual means to abuse a partner. So this Mm -hmm. can look like forcing a partner to engage in sexual acts without their consent rape, marital rape, cheating on a partner, knowingly passing on an STD to a partner as a means of controlling them. Oftentimes there's this unfortunate stigma with having an STD or a sexually transmitted disease or infection that a person is is dirty or somehow unworthy of being loved or, or that no one else will want you, right? Those are kinds of the things that are said and that ultimately erodes the self-confidence of a survivor, allowing the abuser to continue to maintain power and control. And when we're continuing to think about sexual abuse a little bit more tangentially, but the kind of products of sexual abuse, so this could be preventing a partner from using contraception, forcing a partner to use contraception, depending on what the abuser is looking for in that situation, or forcing a partner to unfortunately terminate a pregnancy. I think those were really great examples. Rachel, thank you so much for bringing that up. I think particularly talking about some of the stigmas that are really important just to be able to think about in a larger context. So kind of moving on to verbal abuse. Verbal abuse is really just the usage of demeaning or negative language. It can be name calling, making threats, essentially saying anything very unpleasant to your partner. And ultimately, when we look at verbal abuse, all of these different types of abuse are very much intersectional. 
with one another. And verbal abuse is really just the manifestation of all types of abuse. For example, negative language, name calling, that's also a type of psychological and emotional abuse, eroding somebody's sense of safety. Name calling is really, can be really emotionally damaging. So really these types of abuse are, are very much intersectional. Thinking about another form of communication, Digital abuse is really becoming, unfortunately, one of the widespread forms of abuse because of the widespread nature of access that we have to technology. So this can be in the form of sending threatening text messages. Maybe it's bullying your partner on social media, harassing them or threatening them on social media. This can be also posting demeaning comments about your partner, saying negative things about them on the internet, particularly in a more public nature. Thinking about things like checking partner social media accounts, going through their text messages, demanding the passwords of partner's accounts. And, and I think it's important to note here that this is commonly spoken about in relationships that people are are going through phones or it almost looks like a joke going through the phones, wanting to look through the phones or, or checking to see if there's something that they don't want to see there. And look, thinking about going through somebody's phone, this is really generally a more latter step in something that's already occurring in the relationship. So really simply said, if a partner is thinking about looking through the phone of another partner, often there are other issues going on generally relating to the other types of abuse that we mentioned that are ultimately leading one to look at their phone. So I think that's really important to be cognizant of that it's not just that the concept of lack of trust ultimately, which is what it is for going through your partner's accounts, occurs out of nowhere. It's often compounded by other events that occurred beforehand. In addition, demanding the password of partner's account, sending incriminating photos of a partner to other people, tracking their whereabouts, always asking them, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Or send me your location. Or maybe a partner just automatically sends them or has their location on, their location tracker so another partner can see it because they're worried about what their partner might think. They're worried that perhaps their partner is going to think that they're with people they they don't want them to be with or even that they're cheating on them that they're doing something that the partner deems to be inappropriate all for the sake of ultimately going back to the definition of abuse gaining and retaining that power and control over another person through patterns of behavior yeah I think that's a really good point Gabby and thank you for pointing out um that you know digital abuse is while it is kind of its own standalone form of abuse, it really is a conduit for all of the other types of abuse mm -hmm. is really what I'm hearing you saying is that all of yeah. these other forms of abuse get folded into digital abuse and it's just another means of abusing someone. We wanted to talk a little bit about some nuances within domestic violence that would be specific to certain groups. And in the future, there will be more podcasts on how domestic violence impacts different cultures and people of different immigration statuses and things like that. 
But for today, we really wanted to highlight a specific type of abuse that happens in the LGBTQ community, outing or threatening to out a partner or forcing a partner to disclose how they identify before they're ready is something that's really specific to LGBTQ relationships. As we have said before in our examples, all of the types of abuse that we talked about today can be found in any and all relationships. The reason that we mention outing specifically with the LGBTQ community is because this really puts a survivor of an abuser in a particularly unsafe place because outing someone, first of all, is an intense form of emotional abuse, right? You're Mm -hmm. making someone share a part of their identity that they're not ready to share with and may be exploring more themselves and trying to understand more themselves depending on where they are in their identity journey. And that can be really psychologically scarring for someone. And aside from the psychological and emotional harm that this could do, it also could put someone in physical danger. And they may not be in physical danger from their partner necessarily, but they could be put in physical danger from their family or other loved ones which ultimately allows the partner to isolate the survivor more easily, creates more of a sense of reliance. For example, in teen relationships, this could be particularly detrimental if the teen is kicked out of their home, they have nowhere to go, they may feel that they have to rely on their partner for shelter. Um, So really want to highlight that this is something that's particular to the LGBTQ community, and it is really detrimental in those relationships. And then finally, also in the LGBTQ community, a means of emotional and psychological abuse, telling a partner that they don't look or act like their gender or like their sexual identity. This can be specifically harmful if one's partner is transgendered, and this is something that just really is psychologically damaging and again also could put someone potentially in physical danger as well if these remarks are made in front of others who maybe don't know that person's identity. So I know we talked through a lot today and these are really just some examples and DV there's there's many other forms of examples of domestic violence out there. So Gabby, um, can you kind of share with us what the takeaway take point could be for our listeners today? Definitely. I mean, I think acknowledging the intersectionality of DV and the intersectional nature of thinking about LGBTQ abuse and, and the additional struggles that certain communities may face versus others, there really is no face of abuse. Abuse can occur within all genders, all races, all ages, all ethnicities, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Domestic violence is intersectional, and it may combine itself with several factors to present itself in a relationship. 
For example, there are themes such as toxic masculinity, mental health, substance abuse, or external stressors. These may, things may be correlated or connected to domestic violence, but it's never an excuse for the behavior because abuse, domestic violence is always a choice. And again, we just want to stress that just because someone is not experiencing physical abuse does not mean that abuse is not present within a relationship. Thinking about all of these different themes and topics, you know, if you are somebody who may be looking for some type of support, or if you know somebody who is looking for support or assistance, we have the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can reach them at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233 and at thehotline.org. And then specifically, so Safe at Home has headquarters in uh, New York and L.A., so in New York, we have Safe Horizons, which is, I think, one of our largest domestic violence service providers in New York. And um, you can reach them at 1-800-621-HOPE. That's 1-800-621-4673 and safehorizon.org. They additionally have a feature on their website called a Safe Chat where you can chat with somebody virtually if you are unable to speak on the phone or if you don't feel comfortable speaking on the phone. And there's an option to be able to quickly exit out if you feel that you um, are in an unsafe condition or unsafe location. We also have the family justice centers in all boroughs. Those are quite accessible and fairly easily to get appointments with. As well in LA, we have an agency called Peace Over Violence that we recommend, and you can reach them at 213-955-9090 and online at peaceoverviolence.org. In addition, we have NODVLA, that's N-O-D-V-L-A.org, or their safety hotline at 1-800-799-7233. And just remember that all of these resources are free of cost, so there is available support and quite accessible if in need. Thank you so much, Gabby, for those resources. So to our listeners, we just want to say thank you for joining us today. As a reminder, if you're interested in more on this topic, check out our episode titled Domestic Violence 101, where we introduce the foundations of domestic violence. You can also follow our future episodes that will be related to domestic violence and intimate partner violence. And if you like what you heard here today, we encourage you to subscribe and leave a positive review of the podcast. If you want to learn more, follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Safe at Home Foundation and on Twitter at Tori Safe at Home. You can also visit our website for more information, joetori.org. Thank you for listening to Safekeeping presented by the Joe Tori Safe at Home Foundation. Tune in next time. Thanks so much, Gabby, for joining me. Thanks, Rachel. See you soon. See you soon. Bye.